Welcome to the latest episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, editor of the Colorado Catholic Herald newspaper, and I'm joined today by Deacon Doug Flynn, our general counsel and chief of staff at the diocese, and Deacon Patrick Jones, who's the founder of Catholic Halos. Um, Before we delve in, uh, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in an opening prayer? Certainly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in an ora mortis nostrae. Amen. Okay, so we today uh, our topic is going to be um, basically, the Catholic Church's teaching on death and last things. Um, what what happens to us um, as we're dying and after we die? So, um, Deacon Patrick, could you start us off with kind of an a broad overview of? what the church teaches about uh, what happens to our souls at death? The, uh, the idea that I wanted to play with is that there's no Easter, there's no resurrection without the cross. And we can't understand what happens to us at the moment of death unless we understand salvation history and what the meaning of the cross is. And we can't understand the meaning of the cross um, unless we understand the depth of our own depravity in choosing to defy God and strive to be our own gods. And so I wanted to, during Lent, several quotes really struck me and helped bring an awareness and understanding of, wow, that's, that brings to light the amazing, uh, light and wonder of the resurrection. Um, and, uh, the first quote is by the venerable Mary of Agrita from the mystical city of God. She describes, uh, that God worked great wonders with the staff of Moses which prefigured the cross on which the incarnate word was to be sacrificed as the lamb, a salvation to many, a ruin to others. And that juxtaposition that, that the gospels often called a two edged sword and, uh, medieval knights intentionally had their swords made so that they looked like a cross. They were a cross. They would, uh, treat them as a cross, uh, in, in blessing and, uh, uh, final moments turn to their cross on their sword. And if we look at the immaculate heart of Mary, her heart is pierced by the sword. That is the cross. The cross became a sword that pierced Mary's heart. And God calls us to allow the cross to pierce our souls also so that the sin that we have around us, that, that it acts as a shell, a barrier between us and God, a scandal between us and God, 
is pierced by the cross so that the light of Christ can shine into us and grow the seed of Christ that has always been given to us from the moment of our conception. Um, and the, uh, the next thing that I wanted to mention is, um, and I wasn't sure how far back to go on some of this, but, uh, St. Catherine of Siena in her dialogue, um, with God, uh, God explains to her that he's given four reproofs, corrections, or hopes, um, to humanity. And one of them is ongoing and that's the sacred scriptures given and entrusted to the church, the sacred traditions given and entrusted to the church, the lives and writings of the saints. And of those, God explains to her, thus, no one has any excuse because both reproof and truth are constantly given to them by the light of the church, teaching the Holy Gospels, the Holy Scriptures, sacred traditions, the lives and writings of the saints. And then explaining what happens at the moment of death uh, comes in a couple of different ways. So God continues, you who are dead to grace and have reached the moment of your corporal death, arise and come before the Supreme Judge with your injustice and false judgment and with the extinguished light of faith, which you received burning in holy baptism and which you have blown out with the wind of pride and with the vanity of your heart, with which you set your sails to winds which were contrary to your salvation. For the wind of self-esteem, you filled the sail of self-love. For with the wind of self-esteem, you filled the sail of self-love. Thus you hasten down the stream of the delights and the dignities of the world at your own will and followed your fragile flesh and the temptations of the devil, who, with the sail of your own will set, has led you along the underway, which is a running stream, and so has brought you with himself to eternal damnation. And she goes on to explain, uh, and it's longer, so I won't quote the whole thing, and, and you kind of have to have the whole thing in order for it to make a whole lot of sense. But she goes on to explain an idea that is profoundly beautiful, and that's that at the moment of death, there's a hidden moment before death. It's hidden from this corporal world, but God is beyond time and space. And so there is a moment where the soul is given an opportunity. It's already lived the whole completeness of its life, but the soul is given an opportunity to look at itself with the eyes that God has. And either it will become so guilty and ashamed that it acts as Judas did, uh, and run away and, and not trust God's mercy, not believe God's mercy could possibly overcome it because it doesn't know God, or it will turn to God and say, I, I am a sinner, have mercy on me. And the world, the carnate world does not 
see that moment. And that moment can be as long as it needs to be. And that's just a wonderful, amazing, beautiful uh, image, especially in this time when uh, so many people are experiencing despair uh, because of all the different shutdowns and uh, the, uh, the the bizarre side effects of the virus that, that aren't even in the, the flesh, but they're affecting society in all kinds of ways. Um, so that was the idea that I had in wanting to lay the foundation for what is church teaching? What does it look like? And, um, you know, as we're entering into Easter, how do we have hope without truly understanding and experiencing the depth and breadth of our betrayal and then trusting fully God's mercy? Instead of so entering in despair, into despair, that we uh, reject God and don't believe that his mercy is greater than our sin. Well, Deacon Patrick, um, what you what you described there uh, actually um, follows very closely to... Um, kind of the uh, narrative that um, my father-in-law went through before he passed away in January. And Mm. I I was not present myself, but just based on uh, what some of the other family members related, the ones who spent a lot of time with him at the end. And um, basically uh, about, uh, I'd say two to three weeks before he died, he he uh, related to uh, one of the family members that he was he was um, in that despairing fa- uh, uh, state. He was he was in he he was despairing. He he had been thinking about some of the things. And, and by the way, this is a person who uh, went to daily mass for probably the last thirty to thirty five years of his life. Um, but but you know in he had recalled apparently some things to mind and he was he was in that state of despair and then um uh but but fortunately um through a lot of prayer with um you know a lot of family members surrounding him praying the rosary and 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 you know obviously um visits from clergy and so forth uh, he, he went from that to, you know, a state of hope and, and, um, then to the last couple days before he died, he was commenting on, uh, you know, even though he was suffering quite a bit, but, uh, commenting on how he was quite ready to go. He wanted to go, you know? And, uh, so I, I, um, it, it just struck me that it, it, I, I, uh, number one, kind of, as you mentioned, you know, the devil really does take advantage of any opportunity he can to make us despair, even if we have every reason to, to be hopeful. 
Well, we only need one reason. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which is right. every reason. <laughs> well, but I think it's important for our listeners to to realize that that all of those struggles and all of those temptations and all of those fears um, are, are part of our human condition. And so even such great saints as uh, uh, Mother Teresa or uh, Therese of Lisieux, uh, in their writings and, and those who've written about them, both struggled for, for many years with uh, the, the fear that there wasn't a heaven, the fear that there was no God, sort of the, the, the basis of atheistic temptations. So um, if, if such great saints as those uh, suffer them, I think uh, it should give us hope that uh, we, we should never despair and we should always um, delight in turning to Jesus who has who has hung on the cross for us and, and, and granted us salvation and access to, uh, to the Heavenly Father in, he- in heaven. Or even if we are stuck in despair to trust with wild abandon. There, one of the things that strikes me in reading the lives of the saints is there's an awful lot of times when whatever it is they're facing, it, it's, they, they reach a point where it's, so what? This can't be an excuse for me to turn my back against God. Well, um, so one thing one thing I, I think it might be helpful to, to uh, mention at this point is that the, the church teaches that everybody um, upon, at the moment of their death undergoes what's called a particular judgment, right? So at that point, um, the soul, uh, the, the body is dead, um, but the soul is still alive and um at that point, the, the, then a person would be in in hell, in in purgatory, or in heaven. Their their soul would be. But then, at the end of time, the church teaches that our our bodies will be reunited with our souls. Um, so I I thought this might be a good opportunity for Deacon Doug to kind of explain how that ties in with with what the church does and doesn't allow in terms of like burial and, and cremation. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, so the, the, the church believes in the resurrection of the body. It's part of the creed. Uh, it's part of our core beliefs. And so uh, the resurrection of the body implies that uh, when you die, your body will be uh, placed in a grave or uh, the, the church allows for cremation as long as the, the act of the cremation doesn't uh, go against the belief in the resurrection of the body. So some of the things that uh, the secular world sometimes does is they talk about, well, I'm going to be cremated and have my ashes scattered on the top of Pike's Peak, or, or uh, we're going to split them up and put them in little vials and everybody will carry a little bit of mom around their neck in a necklace and a pendant. All of those things would be considered desecrations or would be considered um, as going directly against the belief in the resurrection of the body. Uh, I know Bishop Sheridan, uh, because the, the, the permission to have bodies cremated cremated uh, was fairly recent, uh, and I don't know whether that's the last 50 years or the last 100 years, but 
um, because it's so difficult to explain to people why it's okay to be cremated uh, as long as the, the remains, the cremains, I guess, are placed into a, um, into a, a sacred spot, uh, whether that be a uh, columbarium niche or, or buried. But, uh, you know, another, another thing that sometimes people do is, you know, keep the urn uh, on the mantle above the fireplace. Well, that's not a, that's not a, a respectable resting place for someone's uh, body, which the church believes will be brought to life on the last day. So um, I guess that's, that's the gist of it. Uh, historically, uh, bodies have been buried uh, in coffins in the ground, and uh, that's still the preferred uh, method of burial, with cremation being, I think, more of a, uh, because it's probably a little less expensive, uh, it was more a realization that not everyone can afford um, a full burial in a casket. So, But, but, it, but I mean, that's, uh, it, it is interesting, though, that, um, you know, that I, it seems like that whole teaching kind of, as you mentioned, what, what underlies it is that we don't think that, um, the church doesn't teach anyway, that, you know, death has the last word. And and um, that there is going to be this this uh, the, you know at the end of the world and I, I mean what what I find fascinating honestly in, in speaking to people um, who you know were were not raised with any type of religion necessarily or you know maybe um, even into new age things is that every everybody tries to find a way to, um, explain what happens, <laughs> um, after we die, you know, and, and, uh, it, it, it seems like it points to, to, uh, something kind of universal there. Um, you know, none of us really, w- it, it seems like at the end of the day, want to believe that when we die, that's, that's, that's it. That's the end. Um, you know, I, I've, I, you know, some people, uh, you know, obviously we know that some people believe in reincarnation. Some people, uh, believe that, um, we'll be become angels, uh, which of course actually is the church has never taught that it's, but, um, it just seems like there's this, this, uh, this need to, to believe that we're, we're still going to be in existence after our bodies are dead. Um, well, and the question is, why is there that need? And there's that need because we are made in God's image and God's fingerprint is throughout our soul. God's breath is infused through our soul. And so we hunger for eternity because we were made for eternity and we are eternal from the moment of our conception, whether we know it or not, that's true. And kind of like, uh, you know, some of the, the faiths that you described, they don't have the richness and fullness and understanding of God's full revealed truth, which has been entrusted to the Catholic church. Um, the church, the Catholic church, Christ is the way, uh, and the way to eternal life is only through him, how people get to Christ 
can vary, but they have to get to Christ to get into salvation in eternal life. Yeah, I, I, um, since we're getting close to Easter, as, as you were talking, I was thinking about, um, the, I guess it's something that is uh, mentioned in the creed actually that, um, you know, when, after Jesus died on the cross, I, the first thing he did was, um, descend to the, the dead and in a sense released them, um, the 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 people the, the the old even the old testament prophets as great as they were they they couldn't have gone to heaven uh until until Jesus uh died himself um but deacon patrick you also as we were talking before the show you had touched on the idea of the um what happens if a person um tragically commits suicide that even in those cases there's there's still there's still hope and and that gets to uh what saint catherine of siena was describing as that that hidden last moment um and the church acknowledges the corporal church is in the world, but not of it. And, and we don't see that last moment. We know it's there and we know God can do amazing things in it. And that God is a God of mercy. And so what kind of ministrations can be given to that soul? Uh, and the importance of prayer cannot be overstated here. Because, and we see this with, uh, um, and my, my brain is, is, uh, is blanking here, but, um, with Abraham and, and Lot, uh, in, um, Gehenna, uh, am I getting that, that right? Where God pleads, uh, God says he's going to destroy, uh, Gomorrah. There we go. Um, (laughs) and (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, well, if there's, if there's uh, 10 righteous people, can we save the whole place? <laughs> so there's this negotiation. That's a model for prayer, petitioning to God of, of, uh, praying for others. And there's a beautiful prayer. I call it the secret, not so secret prayer of the saints. And it's taking Jesus's words, love one another as I have loved you and saying, well, how did Jesus love us? He loved us by taking his sins, our, our sins onto him, bearing the burden of them, though he did not commit any sin. And that's how he loved us. How do we love each other the same way? We can pray for God to free others who are burdened and if necessary, if desired, I'll take those burdens myself. Um, there's plenty of examples uh, of different saints saying that, um, various versions of that prayer. And uh, the Jesus says, my burden 
is uh, easy. My yoke is light. My yoke is easy. My burden light. Um, I think my brain is tired today. <laughs> and uh, so how can that be if we're taking, if, if the saints are taking on others, the burden of others' sins, how can that be a light yoke, an easy burden? Well, Christ strengthens them to be able to bear those. The act and the humility of, of reaching sideways to aid others strengthens us. Um, and so that last moment, if someone has committed suicide, the suicide may not be their last moment. And so we pray for them because prayer is beyond time and space. After the fact, our prayer can affect what happens in that last moment. And that's the act of a God of love and a God of mercy and a God who desires deep abiding eternal relationship with us. And that's the wonder of Easter. That's the wonder of the cross. The gift of salvation through the cross. Well, and that also kind of seems to be a really good explanation of um, why the church grants uh, indulgences, right? I mean, that we can, um, those of us who are here on earth can um, try to uh, um, offer offer indulgences for um, maybe loved ones who have died um, and whether whether it's a partial or, or plenary indulgence. Um, uh, and in fact, we know that during this year of St. Joseph, that, that was a huge part of the, um, the, um, decree that came from the Vatican, you know, was ways that we could earn a plenary indulgence during this year. And, and it's always good to, you know, think about the fact that it's not just for ourselves. We can, um, earn them on, on behalf of others, um, who have, who have died, um, Deacon Doug, what I know that you have quite a bit of experience working um, in the in the hospice field, and can you can you tell us about some of the the common uh, threads of th that tend to come up in in working with people who are are close to death? Well, I mean, it's hard to. It's hard to generalize because I think every situation is different, but uh, there's a great comfort, I think, when folks are surrounded by family and loved ones, uh, so they they feel that sense of uh, community. Um, but ultimately, I guess, um, and this is not necessarily from from hospice experience, but you know that moment of death is something we all eventually go through alone. And one of the most beautiful passages that I ever read was the idea of um, opening that door uh, leading from this life to the next and Jesus being on the other side of that door, holding out his hand uh, to escort us to remind us that we really never are alone. So uh, even if someone were to die, uh, you know, in a hospital bed uh, with no one there, Jesus is there with them. Uh, and that comfort and that consolation uh, remains uh, forever. So um, 
I guess the other concept that I run into a lot of times with folks who are uh, in hospice, which basically just means some doctor has said uh, that they are not expected to live for more than six months, is the fear of pain, the fear of uncontrollable pain. And physical pain uh, is what I'm focusing on now. And uh, there's a, a sub-discipline of medicine now called palliative care, which is really the treating of symptoms, uh, which has evolved in the last decade or, or 20 years, uh, so much so that um, one of my good friends who is a chief medical officer of one of the hospices I worked with said, you know, yes, if somebody wants to unite their pain and their suffering with Jesus on the cross, that's fine. But the church doesn't teach you have to do that. Uh, and then, so there are medications that are permitted, um, even if the unintended consequence might be to hasten death. Um, his comment was just medicine has evolved to the point where no one needs to die in pain. Uh, so I would just, for our listeners out there, especially if they have loved ones who are uh, facing difficult uh, illnesses and, and suffering, um, palliative, uh, getting a consultation with a palliative care doctor uh, may be something that's helpful because, you know, even oncologists or people who deal with cancer, medicine has become such a specialized field that, that treating pain and treating symptoms uh, is its own and not just because somebody's wearing a white coat and they have an MD behind their name. Uh, do they know all of the different medicines that are available and all the different delivery mechanisms for those medicines that are available? So um, it doesn't answer the question, but uh, when I was giving a presentation to a, a, a religious, a group of religious sisters, um, some of them were, were very upset that, that one of their sisters who was on her deathbed didn't want any type of pain medicine. She wanted to try to fully unite her suffering and her pain with Christ on the cross. And uh, while some of them, it made them scared for what would happen at the end of their life, for others, it gave a, a beautiful testimonial to um, what we're called to do um, and what the church doesn't require, but certainly um, appreciates in those times. Well, I just just to wrap up, one final thought I, I've had ever since I learned um, that one of the promises of um, wearing the scapular is that the, that the Blessed Mother would um, escort the person to heaven on the Saturday after their death. I, I, I've decided that my goal is to pretty much die at 11.59 on a Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and, and then, and then, and then, hopefully, uh, you know, possibly- cross reference heaven is beyond time and space. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't blame me for trying, but anyway, yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, thanks, thanks both of you for participating in our discussion today. Um, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer? That in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in an ora mortis nostre, Amen. Thanks everyone for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast.